0: Uh, so, today's guest is Henry Ferguson. Uh, so, you've heard him on the po- podcast before. Uh, the last time he was on, I uh, just had such a great time talking with him. So,. Henry um he's a great family man he's got a great sense of humor uh and he's an absolute killer in the mountains he loves mule deer and so since our last conversation uh he, he harvested a giant early season mule deer this year in his home state of Colorado so so we get into that and talk about that but you know guys like Henry uh, it's no accident that he's consistently successful. Uh, he does all of the little things necessary, and so I named this episode The Devil's in the Details with Henry Ferguson. Um, nobody does a better job at, at, at putting in the work as far as, uh, you know, practicing their execution with their bow. He shoots 3D nonstop. Uh, you know, I picked up a tip in this podcast, something that I'd kind of forgotten about, and it's just the the practice of execution, uh, with your release. So it's like a release aid and we we get into it. He's got a custom one built with a handle and things. I just use a string. That's my draw length. And then I can practice executing my shot the correct way. And so, um, as soon as I got off the podcast, I started using that again and been using it ever since, but he, he is just, um, He's, he's a great hunter, and he does all the small things, and you can hear it throughout this podcast, you know, the way he prepares and the way he thinks about situations and scenarios. So uh, I just had a great time. He, he is a great guest, and uh, I really appreciate him being on. Um, also, we just have the best sponsors at Eastman's Elevated. So our sponsors sent us some gear to give away to um, podcast guests as we have them on. Uh, so, this is really cool. So, I was able to to hit up uh, Henry the other day and go, Hey, Henry, I I got a, a brand new Yeti M30 um, hopper for you. And so, we're going to be sending that out to him. It's just so cool to to have these sponsors like this that, that give me this. So, you know, I can show my appreciation for Henry taking time out of his schedule and, and uh, laying down these really good conversations and podcasts with me. So, um, thanks so much to Yeti. And, and Henry, you got the best. Hopper coming your way. So you got the uh, newer model than I even have. So they redesigned uh, the zipper and they made a, a magnetic close, which is really cool. It's the M30. So it's a soft side cooler, man. You can use it for carrying meat on a plane. Like I use them, those hoppers for Hawaii quite a bit. And, um, they're just handy for everything. I use them fishing. I use them. They're always in my truck and you can always have a cold drink, uh, when you get back to your truck cause nothing tastes better. Um, I've also put, uh, you know, when we were hunting out there this year, in Hawaii um, I put my entire sheep in my Yeti cooler you know and I, I'd also I can freeze it and put it in there and fly home with it so they're just super handy so thanks a bunch to, to Yeti for uh, giving that to Eastman's Elevated and to be able to give it to Henry and uh, uh, his text was great after I'd, I was texting him about it and told him that we were going to give it to him and it was like man are you kidding me so he's super pumped he's going to get some good use out of it. Uh, sponsors for today's show, uh, Yeti Coolers is one of them. Great products like their Hopper, I talked about. Their coolers are just so next level and change the way I hunt. Uh, I can just keep ice longer, I can keep things colder longer. And then I can also, if I harvest an animal and I'm with my buddies, you know, I can get that animal in that cooler, hang it at night, back in the cooler during the day, depending on what the temperatures are. I can even ice it, and and it can be 90 degrees outside. I remember an Idaho deer hunt me and my buddy Dan went on a couple years ago, and uh, I harvested a deer— got them on ice in there. Also, another tip is to add salt to your ice. If you add salt to your ice, it lowers the freezing temperature and it'll actually freeze meat solid in there. But, you know, I was able to keep that deer for another four or five days and allow Dan to continue to hunt on this mission and then get back and get my deer butchered and everything was um, completely fine. So it, it's really nice that you can keep meat uh, cold during that hot early season you know because a lot of the seasons i hunt august and september it's warm weather where you really have to take care of your meat and those yetis just do a better job than any cooler out there keeping your meat cold and and uh good until you can get home and get it butchered so they just change the way the way i hunt also make sure to check out their their tumblers and their they have um insulated cups keeps my coffee warm all day the thermos is awesome i love the thermos Uh, So just great products, a great company. So thanks to Yeti for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, I also want to thank High Mountain Seasonings. I am in love with High Mountain Seasonings. Uh, I've been making jerky like a madman. I haven't been cutting much burger this year uh, because I'm sitting pretty good on burger. uh, But I've been slicing everything into jerky and running these batches. And I've I've got it dialed on there. Um, I just love all the different jerky mixes they, they uh, offer to, for do-it-yourself jerky making. They offer everything for snack sticks, uh, for, for summer sausage. Uh, I also really like their steak marinades are really good. So anything for, for your wild game needs, make sure to check out High Mountain Seasoning. And with that, um, let's see. Man, it's just been um, such a fun season. I love having the time to go such a great adventure. Last weekend, a solo backpack trip uh, with my bow for Rutten Muleys in November. Uh, it's just an absolute ride. I'm going to jump on and do a uh, a late season Muley podcast. Um, I also want to get my youngest daughter on here for just like a quick 10, 20 minute recap of, of her hunt and our adventure hunt there uh, and share that with you guys. So I got some good stuff coming up. I just got to could sat down and get these things recorded here. So um, it's been busy, but what a great season. And and, um, Eastman's is just such a great company to be part of this time of year. Uh, The text chain has been great. Uh, Brandon Mason, I got to get him on the podcast. His boy Hunter killed a bull this year. And then I just saw a picture come through of a really nice muley that that, uh, his boy Hunter was able to, to harvest. So man, just awesome. Super happy for him. Ike's got a couple bucks this year and, um, I keep seeing some critters come across my feed. So pumped to catch up with the Eastman guys. And I recorded a really good podcast with Scott Reekers. that's coming up here. Um, so that'll be a good one. Uh, make sure to check out the beyond the grid. We've got some great episodes coming up there. Uh, It's our internet TV show. Uh, You can find it on YouTube. Uh, Just search Beyond the Grid or Eastman's and and, uh, we'll pop up for you. Well, let's get into this podcast. Henry is a great guest and an absolute mule deer slayer. So this is a fun one for me. Uh, Henry Ferguson, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go.
1: I spent like the whole freaking month of July gone. I was gone the whole month of July. And I mean it, it just that's my scouting time. That is my absolute boots on the ground, busting my butt scouting time. And I missed it this year.
0: Oh, what a bummer. And it's so timing too, isn't it? Like um, you know, everything happens at a at a certain time. Right?
1: yeah i mean june's june's great you know but the antlers you don't know what buck's going to be big i mean they all look like they're going to be huge in june <laughs> <laughs> and you know and it doesn't even account for those late bloomers those bucks that just explode in you know late july early august those bucks that just take off and oh, it just drives me it, it drove me crazy man i mean i've I went into this season so stinking stressed, man. I was, I was a wreck, dude. I just wasn't prepared. Well,
0: well, you put so much into your scouting too and take it so serious. And that's a lot of your enjoyment of your season is your scouting in that early time, you know, learning, you know, which basins those big bucks are in. And I, I'm with you. That scouting has a special place in my heart where it's almost a season in itself like I can go put on big miles and I can go look at new drainages and I still get like that rush of adrenaline when I find a good buck through my scope and and they're so much easier to find that time of year so I'm with you missing that season you know it's it's almost like uh you know missing a September or something or missing a, a hunting season just because you do put so much effort into finding those good ones but but you did you found some good ones in the meantime right
1: we did. We did. And I mean, it took a lot of work, you know, I mean, every, every trip that I had, I was home for like any from as little as 14 hours in between trips, believe it or not, to as much as 36 hours. And I was getting out every time. I mean, you know, fortunately, my wife's really understanding and but you know, it's also not that big of a problem when you leave at three in the morning. You know,
0: <laughs> not really a whole
1: lot going on at home, and you know, and I'm typically I go out and I'm back relatively early, so it's not you know I'm back. I try to be back before noon, so I'm not crushing a whole day. You know, and but uh, yeah, it's it, it's just weird. I mean, I, I the rush that you get that you were saying from finding an animal for the first time. It's it's like when you put all your pieces together and you, you, you've picked out the base and you've picked out the hillside, whatever it is. And you know where you want to be, you know where you want to be. And you're like, this spot just has to hold bucks or, you know, this spot's held bucks in the past. I'm going to go back in there and see if those bucks that we let go from last year, if they grew up to be monsters this year, and it's, it's kind of funny because when it does pay off, when you sit there and out pops that big buck, I mean, you do get a rush, man. It's, it's awesome. That's, it's one of the things that kind of makes me laugh because I get so many people who they want to shortcut the process. They're like, Hey, where can I find a big buck? And you know, I I don't know that I'd want one if I didn't have that, uh, if I didn't have that experience with it already, you
0: know? Oh man, isn't that the truth? Yeah. The hard work's all part of it. Uh, The grind is part of it, but yeah, you you make so many good points there. I love what you say. You're, you're such an animal like uh, to come home from those work trips where you just been grinding at work. And the only thing you can think about is scouting for deer. And then like you say, the next day, you're up at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, and and you're the only one that, that really suffers because you're still making it back, spending time with the family, and you're so present in the afternoons or for lunch. But I'm doing that same stuff where I'm dropping my kids off at, at a pool in Dillon at, at this time, and then I'll go look at the unit and then come back in and swing back in and grab them. Like, you just make it work. But there is a lot of fun to that, and I love seeing new places. Like, you talked about... Like you go to look for, for different bucks or, you know, places that have held bucks in the past. But I love unlocking the, unlocking the pieces or the puzzle that goes with it. Like figuring out where to glass from to get that good view of where they like to feed and where they like to come out. Because every place you hunt is different and has a different approach and then trying to figure out where the dominant wins are and how I'm gonna stock. And I, I love trying to figure all that out. And the more time that you can spend doing that in the early season, it, it's just paying your dividends, putting in your work, you know, towards getting that buck.
1: Totally. And and you know the funny thing is, 2018 was a was a great example of that. You talked about finding new glassing points. <clears throat> I mean, I had hunted this spot off and on for years. I mean, years. And it's just a super frustrating place. The wind swirls and it's, you know, a lot of mountain lions. The bucks are on edge, but there's always a good buck or two in there. Always. Every stinking year. And my my frustration was each year I'd find a good buck and then he'd just go ghost on me. Well, I thought I had a really great glassing spot and I had a buddy tell me, he's like, listen, you're going up the wrong Hill. You've got to get farther away and get a master vantage and just get where you can see for miles. And I'm like, whatever, <laughs> you know, I just, I just kind of blew them <laughs> off for a long time. And finally one day I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go up this other side and it's steep as crap. I mean, it's like, Hiking poles or hands and knees, you know, I mean, it's, it's super steep. And so anyway, I got up there and I, I got up there one morning and my first vantage point that I stopped at there, I'm like, Oh, I am an idiot. I should have been up here two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think any of those bucks would have gotten away from me then, but it's just funny how a different perspective on an old spot gave me a whole new view of the place and and it just opened the whole place up to me
0: man that's the truth yeah i had a, a vantage point this year in wyoming and i've hunted this spot before and i've hunted the edges i've actually killed a buck in one of these drainages but i've always wanted to hike down and lose my elevation and then climb up this other feature and it just sits with a 360 degree view everything from you know you know, 400 yards in front of you to three miles out in every direction of the best mule deer features. And it's about, it's, it's quite a pushback in there. And this year we did it right. And we, we caught a bunch of weather, but I mean, there was days where I'd see 30 bucks from that vantage point, And that vantage point, it just showed you the world. And even though these bucks were moving down into secondary living, we just saw some monsters down and through there that we got to make plays on. And it was all because of figuring that place out and then losing the elevation and gaining it to the master vantage point, like you say, Um man, that's the key to killing deer a lot of times.
1: It is. And I, I you know, there's, let's face it. Anybody can have access to that map to, to look at the same information you're looking at. They could have access to Onyx Maps, Google Earth, whatever, and they could look at it and go, wow, you could see everything from here. But who's willing to really pay the price to get in there and really work, work through the ins and outs of that spot? And man, I loved hearing your podcast about your um, kind of live hunt that you guys did this year. And I was just living and dying with that thing, man, hearing the ups and downs and hitting weather. Dude, you guys didn't get lucky and hit weather. <laughs> you got rocked up there, man. <laughs> oh,
0: that man, we got punished. Um, Yeah, it was brutal up there. Well, that's really cool, Henry. Yeah, thanks for listening in. That was kind of, it was really fun to capture, you know, really authentic and in real time. And what a hunt, like still my funnest hunt of the year. I just love like thinking back on it and some of the memories I had up there,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was just so real because you were, like I said, you just kind of lived and died by, I mean, I mean, I am like rooting for you, you know, that last stock you went on. I'm like, Oh, this is it. This is it. This is it. (laughs) But yeah, it's, It was a cool concept, and you should definitely do more of those.
0: Yeah, um, I have never had such a tough time killing a mule deer. I think I got more stalks in those days in Wyoming than a lot of years I get in the entire season, and it was chances at bucks I really wanted. I wanted to close the deal so bad, but, yeah, sometimes I, I just could not make it happen. It felt like I couldn't catch a break, but, you know, it's just bow hunting. It's just really tough, and those animals are really keen. Um, but yeah, what a hunt! Oh my gosh, that was a a fun one to go on for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm, I was pretty envious of that one. That it just sounded like there were a lot of opportunities, but you know the weather and everything. I mean, sometimes it's it's just kind of the odds are just stacked against you. And like you said, it's it's bow hunting. You know, even a muzzle loader. I mean, just allows you to get that quick more accurate shot off, you know, than, than with a bow. I mean, there's, it, it just requires a lot to get that, to get a good shot off with a bow. Oh, it sure does. Man, there's times where I just wanted to, there's times where in every season where you just sit there and you look at your bow that you've looked at lovingly all year and you just want to throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> just tomahawk it off the mountain, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I would train you for a nickel right now, man. <laughs> what am I doing out here with a stupid bow and arrow? I mean, come on. We've progressed so far from here. I know.
0: I but try then- not to get frustrated, but yeah, sometimes I just can't help myself. Sometimes it just feels like mission impossible.
1: <laughs> it does. And it just gets so frustrating because it's just like you're you're coming back from your stock. And I'm sure you're you're like me and you're replaying everything that you should have done to get that, <laughs> shot, you know. And in reality, things happen, you know, I mean, there's there's unforeseen things. You look at it and you think you've got it nailed down from your perspective, from your view, you know, the stock's going to lay out perfectly and you get over there in that boulder that you thought was going to give you, you know, 40 yard shots, 95 yards away. And you're like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So, so there's that, (laughs) or you get over there in that bush that you thought, Oh yeah, he's bedded right under that little bush and I'll be able to be able to shoot right over it. It's an eight foot tall oak brush. You know, I mean, there's just, it's so hard to get perspective on things from from so far away, when you're planting those stocks from you know mile or two miles away.
0: So true. And and you get over there and it looks like the moon. Like oh, you've got this you okay. take this photo in your mind of what it looks like. Okay, the three dead trees, the rock, the coolie goes down there. You get over there and it's like you walk to the wrong mountain. It's like you don't recognize any of the timber patches, yeah. any of the timber, like any of the rocks. You're like, Where in the hell did I walk to? Where's this buck? You know? About that time he gets up in front of you, but I just try so hard not to make those foolish mistakes. And so it's really important what you're talking about when you're going on a stock on any of these critters is paying attention to those landmarks, taking a photo with your camera or your phone so then you can zoom in on where you're at and then really trying to pick out landmarks. Like a lot of times you'll have a bush picked out and then you get over there and there's a hundred bushes and you can't tell which one it is, you know, it's like really try to to draw yourself a map, really try to plan your stock and really try to figure out where that deer's at, where you're going to be able to see him from or where you're going to shoot from. And then try to like, like track your route all the way from top to bottom to where you're headed. But that's so important, isn't it? Because the stock of a lifetime can end when you get over there and everything looks foreign.
1: Yeah, everything. And uh, so one thing that I've done with that is I, you know, on, I've got an iPhone and they have an, on the edit feature after you take a picture, you can literally like draw lines on there and stuff. And I will try to sketch on there my stocking route. And so I'll try to do a couple different depths of the picture. So like different zoom levels. I'll try to take one through my phone scope first of all. So I know exactly where the buck is exactly what tree and then I'll try to zoom it out enough where I can get enough perspective to say, okay, once I get to that rock, he's under this tree, you know, should be within shooting distance. But then I will also, and I'll, I'll like put an arrow in there, you know, buck. <laughs> um, and then I'll, I'll do a wide angle one where I can like put in the whole route. So without the phone scope and just holding it up there and uh, zooming it in and getting, just getting again, a little bit of perspective. Cause once you get over there, man, it is like you said, it just gets really confusing sometimes. And you, you just need something. And, and part of it, Brian, by my own admission, part of the problem over there is I get in my own freaking head And I start doubting things. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's the wrong rock. That's not the rock. And I mean, this this one particular hillside that I've stocked a couple of really big bucks on. um, In fact, I shot. Oh, sorry. I got here. That would be my wife calling me. Um, I shot a really like a world class uh dead tree this year with a buck bedded right behind it oh no uh, <laughs> oh yeah it was uh it was not it wasn't great i I sat on this buck for quite a while but but anyway, when I snuck over there, and this is the second time it's happened to me there, so I was a little more aware this time um I watched the whole i watched his herd bed down. I took my pictures of where they were bedded, each individual buck this time. (laughs) Lesson learned from past mistakes. Um, And I really thought, you know what? You're not going to fool me this time, guys. I am ready. I've got this nailed down. And I got over there and I I, I took off my boots and I knew exactly where I needed to be. Took off my boots and walked about 40 yards and bam i see antlers down in the brush i thought i was 100 yards away still so i was just on them a little bit quicker so everything kind of everything kind of speeds up you're like oh no oh no this isn't my plan and you just have to calm yourself back down and say all right just just relax just adjust and you know it's uh it, it it's kind of one of those times where you have to remember you know the words of that great philosopher mike tyson where he said everybody's got to play until they get punched in the face and you, know, you just have to settle down and take it in and say okay i need to adjust what do i need to adjust what do i need to do from here but but yeah i snuck in on that buck great though i got to 45 yards and like man i thought i was going to get a shot at embedded and i'd you did a, I think it was your podcast that you did with Marlon Holden. He was talking about how he will work extra hard to get a shot at embedded, so he kind of controls the the flow of it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm, I so I started working my way around, and I, I worked my way up to just over 30 yards, and there was just no shot, no matter where I went. The only way I was going to even have a chance of getting a shot, the wind was going to blow straight into his face. So I knew that wasn't an option. So I just had to relax. And so I backed up to 46 yards and I'm like, this is it. This is where I make my stand. He's going to, he's going to stand up here pretty quick. And one of the bucks, actually one of his other bucks actually got up and started feeding up the hill and he caught my wind and he, he was about a hundred yards from the rest of the herd at that point, but he went barreling right back down through the rest of the herd got them all up well all of them except the big one and you know I mean I had bucks I had a 150 inch buck at 51 yards broadside wide open shot and I I'm, I'm sitting there looking at him I'm like I see you I'm not even gonna look I'm not gonna look I'm not gonna be tempted because I mean it was you know it was pretty much a <laughs> slam dunk but anyway waited for that buck to stand up for another hour And when he finally did, I only had about three inches of the top of his back to aim at. And I thought, oh, no, 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 that's not going to work. That's not going to work. So there was a, there was a log at like 38 yards. And I thought, I know exactly where it is because I can see his shoulder line coming up. So I held right in that log, hoping my arrow would arch right over it, it, uh, well, we'll just say I made an excellent shot because I hit right on <laughs> my pan on that log. <laughs> uh, yeah. Needless to say, that buck did not stick around to figure out what that was that had spooked him. <laughs> but uh, I, I've, I've, been, I've been actually considering going up and cutting part of that log up because it's just this big deadfall. And maybe trying to use it as like a pedestal mount or something is... Just a not-so-subtle reminder.
0: <laughs> right. Well, you're just looking for, you're looking for a sliver of opportunity to put that arrow, and you're so proficient. You've practiced all summer long. You've killed a bunch of bucks. Like, you know what you can do, and you know, like, from shooting all the 3D that you do, you know where you can slip arrows in. But sometimes we just get a little greedy with that, right? And we try to do it in too tight of a window or just not enough – there's not enough room for air there and then you end up hitting like that one spot or like i remember shooting at an axis buck like a couple years ago and it was his shoulder was right on the tree as long as i missed the tree i had him and i skinned the tree it was like god it was just like man oh man it was just tight you know in there but um man that's but that's why you're a great mule deer hunter too henry is i love that entire story so um Planning your stocks, taking pictures of all the bucks in all their beds, uh, that drawing your map on your phone, and then at, at different levels too—the way zoomed out level and the way zoomed in. Um, man, that, those are such great tips. That if, if I would have done that, I, I, man, I would have I would have killed so many more bucks in my early years if I would have just paid attention to the the details like that. You know, that is so smart. And then um, what a great approach on those bucks and then holding off at that one at 51, waiting for the shot on the big one, trying to be patient, you know. Um, Man, I mean, that's just how you kill good bucks. And you did kill – that buck you killed this year was such a smoker. Man, what a great buck. Did you scout that one?
1: We did, yeah. And I spotted him in early August. Mid August and late August in between more work travel.
0: What a buck. <laughs> man, what yeah. a buck. Deep forked and heavy, and that's the one you're looking for. Good on you.
1: He had, I mean, he ended up having 20 inch G2s, and, oh. and I mean, matching 20 inch G2s. Just oh, a shade man. over 20 inch, like 20 inch. 20 and an eighth or something like that but that I mean, makes just for a such a,
0: a pretty mule deer too they just sit so tall when they have an 18 or 20 inch g2 back there man that's a beautiful buck
1: when i've got another buck that has 19 inch g2s and i thought and i i thought that's what i had here i thought i had i thought he had 19 inch g2s and when i when i walked up on him on the ground and put my hands on him. I know that my thumb to tip of my thumb to tip of my pinky extended is nine inches. And I put two of them on there and still had some G2 left. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a, a, buck that was a really cool, really pleasant surprise. Cause I, I thought I was just looking at a huge framey buck with, with weak forks and, you know, good mass. And I thought, ah, eh, he's, you know, it'll be 170, maybe 175 gross if I'm lucky. And I mean, when I started putting the the numbers together, holy crap, man. You know, you got 40 inches of G2s. <laughs> you know, you got uh, 45, 46 inches of beams, 40, it was like 40 and a half inches of mass. I mean, real fast. And when I when I totaled it up, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But yeah, it was it was a, a really pleasant surprise. I was I was really stoked
0: on that buck. So. Man, those um those big heavy bucks, the ones that look heavy, they just carry more length than you think, don't they? I, I've shot a buck like that too. That's really heavy. He he doesn't look like he's long anywhere, but he just carries his mass mass through his tines, and then you start measuring it, and it just surprises you everywhere. But I think those are the biggest bucks, you know, when they get mass like that. And uh, yeah. have those kind of measurements, man. That's incredible. Uh, how was the stock on that one?
1: Well, it, it was it was a, a, a two part stock spread out over two days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The first day, uh, my buddy and I saw him feeding in, and we were up on this this hillside just covered in oak brush, and we're sitting there waiting for him, and they fed up into the lower portion of this oak brush and bedded down. There's three bucks, and I'm like, oh, man, like, Mike, this is a slam dunk, dude. Something's going to gonna end up bleeding here pretty quick. And, I mean, that level of overconfidence, uh, it, it, it hurt us within about uh, – <laughs> <laughs> So we're out there putting all our stuff in our packs. We're thinking we're totally concealed by this oak brush. And Mike goes, he – He's a little taller than me. He peeked up and he goes, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And I said, what's going on? He goes, they're looking right up at us. Oh, no. (laughs) And sure enough, man, they were looking up at us. So they took off. We, uh, We went off in pursuit. And I'm like, you know what? They're not that spooked. I'll bet they just go over this little finger ridge and just settle down on the other side. So we went over that finger edge and man, sure enough, they were feeding around and laying and getting ready to, and I'm like, they're going to bed down right by that big bush. And it's not often I'm right, but I I was in this case (laughs) and they bedded down right by that bush. And Mike goes, dude, just go get them. I'm like, no, no, come with me. Come with me. And he was right. I I get excited and want to have my friends there with me. And he goes, no, just, just. Go go alone. I'm like, no, come on, come on. So I talked him into it, and we went down there, and uh, collectively we uh, we blew the stock a little earlier than we thought we would. They they stood up at they stood up at a, a fairly long distance, but he was broadside, and he was he was looking up our way, but we had the rising sun up behind us, and I don't think he really knew what we were. So I drew back pin settled in rock solid and I thought, this is good. this is real good. Shot broke and Brian, I went right underneath him. just right underneath him and I felt uh, I, it, it just it just ate at me because I'm like, there's no reason I should have missed that shot. I, I practice it all the time. There's just no reason I should have missed that freaking shot. And it, it just made me sick all night. And so next morning, Mike calls me and he says, hey, dude, it's all you today. I've got meetings I can't get out of. Just just go for it. And I tried to talk him into coming out again. He goes, no, nah, it's all you today. Sink or swim, man, it's on you. So I went out and Mike hooked me up with that because I don't, there's no way two of us could have made this stock, but. They were they were feeding back up. And Brian, I'm sitting in a dip on a different point this this morning watching them. And they're feeding up. And I'm like, boy, it looks like they're headed right near where they were yesterday. But there's no way. I mean, we spooked them out of their beds. There's no way they're going back in the same spot. And they went and bedded in the exact same beds. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. And I know exactly the approach I need to make on this. This is, I'm, I'm not screwing it up. I'm not taking any chances. I'm going to go ultra cautious on this. And that's exactly what I did. I got up there and I took my boots off at about, about 150, 200 yards away from where I, I figured I was going to get the shot. And the crazy thing was, I take my boots off, I put on my extra pair of socks, and literally about, I don't know if it was my second or third step, I stepped on a small cactus that was underneath some grass. (laughs) I'm like, okay, we're off to a, a great start. Great start. So I sat down, made sure I didn't sit in cactus, pulled a few cactus spines, the big ones out, And walked on my toes, (laughs) basically on that foot. And I, I, I went about five more steps and two dove took off out of a bush right next to me. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And I'm on the backside of this finger ridge at this point. So I'm like, I'm just praying they're not, you know, they're not spooked. Um, But I looked down on one side and there was a doe that had gotten up, that uh, that the doves had, had had spooked. So there, she's up looking, and she is honed right in on me. And I look on the other side of the finger ridge over where these bucks are, and there's a forky, and he stood up, and he's like a hundred yards away from where they are. So I'm like, all right, I'm just sitting down until they until they stop. And I sat there for like fifteen minutes, and finally they bedded back down and. I went back on my little stock, and no more animals were spooked <laughs> but anyway there's there's three bucks bedded down in this in, in this patch of oak brush where the big boy is and honestly, all three of them are really good bucks um one of them was probably a he would probably scored about the same, maybe a touch more as just a a big deep fort typical, but he was narrow and he was a real cool buck, but I, you know what? I've got four bucks like him on my wall. I mean, this this other buck, I, I just, uh, while I told myself I'll shoot any of the three big ones that stand up, I wanted that buck bad. <laughs> <laughs> I slipped down there and I, I I'm just creeping through the oak brush, you know, pulling branches aside, walking through and then letting it go, letting the branch go back, you know, I mean. Just trying to make as little noise as possible, and I, I got there, and I'm at 55 yards, and I, I'm like, you know what? I'm not pushing it. I'm not pushing it. I've got, I've got the angle shooting down on them. So when they stand up, I'm gonna have a good angle on it. And buck stands up. First buck stands up. The the narrow typical. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I told myself I was going to shoot whichever one stood up first. I've already got an arrow knocked. I, I range it. It literally takes two bites from this from this bush, turns around, and beds face in the other direction. I, that was weird. So then this big three-point that's with him, the only buck in the herd that I didn't want to shoot because it's a just a big, young buck, and he stands up. He feeds around for like 10 minutes offering me just shot after shot from like 55 to 62 yards, just broadside hanging out, not a care in the world, doesn't have a clue. I'm there. And finally the, the, the tall buck stands up and I'm like, all right, game on, game on. I'm, I've got tension on the string and he stands up and he's facing, he's, He's downhill from me, and he's facing straight on. And I'm like, oh, I have no angle, no shot at all. So I'm just sitting there waiting, sitting there waiting. And I waited for five minutes more because I'd already been there for almost an hour and a half, like an hour and 20 minutes, waiting for him to stand up. And finally, he starts to turn just a little bit, and I'm like, man, that's good enough. I, he also he was behind just a little bit of brush, but I knew I knew it wasn't. It was close enough to him, and it wasn't thick enough. I knew I could slip an arrow through there, and so he. I, I draw back, sitting on my butt, stand up, and I as soon as I kind of stood up, all three bucks because all three bucks are up now. They're all staring straight up at me. And when I when I looked down there, there was a leaf that was just perfect behind his shoulder, just perfect. One leaf that just stood out, and I just held that pin on there rock solid, man. And shot broke, and I'm like, oh, that's gonna hurt. <laughs> it just, it, it, but you know, he, there was a little bit of brush there, so I couldn't see exactly where it hit. So he he jumps up you know, he was, he was standing up feeding, but he jumps and runs out to like, or kind of trots out to like 79 yards. And as he's doing that, I'm looking through my range finder and I see a, a mark right behind his shoulder. And I'm like, oh, if that's it, if that's my arrow hole, he is done. That's dead buck walking. But, you know, it's, it's bow hunting. I mean, I've seen weird stuff happen. So if they're still standing, I'm, I'm still shooting, and I mean, hey, I love shooting arrows anyway. So, yeah. So he says 79 yards. I dial my sight, knock another arrow, and shot him again. And but I'll tell you that that second shot, I'd had a small adrenaline dump after the first shot. <laughs> Man, my pin was. I mean, I saw everything. I saw everything behind that pin, man. I saw head. I saw butt. I saw elbow. It was everywhere. And I'm like, and I literally told myself, and this is quote, Henry, get your shit together now. And sorry about that. Sorry, mom. Um, I, I literally told myself that, and and I, I calmed back down, got my pin on there, checked my level, and made another good shot on him. And, Put that one right through his shoulder at seventy nine. So I put two ten ring shots in him. And as you can imagine, he didn't go real far after that. He he went like a hundred yards and and he bedded down. He didn't crash. He just he just bedded down and just was calm as can be. And then uh it was kind of funny. I the other bucks that were with him were sitting there like Lunging at him, hey, you know, like, hey, Bill, get up, come on. <laughs> but uh he wasn't getting up. And so they uh they just stayed there with him. And about 10 seconds later, he literally just fell over, just just fell over in his bed. and It was just awesome, man. It was one of those things where I mean, I knew I knew my stock route on him. I knew how to get quietly through the oak brush. And, you know, if I if I really took my time and, you know, move branches out of the way. And also my my biggest thing that I think I had in my favor was I, I just don't think bucks like to move when they get in a really good bed like that or really secure bed. I think you can get away with a little bit more. I mean, they they just I don't know if they overtrust it or or what it is, but man, it they just they just kind of hunker down in those beds and. They don't want to move. And, you know, I mean, I, it's one of those things where I could have been waiting on him until six o'clock at night. But as it turns out, he, he stood back up at about 10 to kind of stretch. And that's when I, that's when I got him. Man. But it was, it was just an awesome, I mean, it was a better buck than I deserved based on the amount of scouting I'd done this year. And I'd, I'd be the first to admit that. But, you know, I, I just, couldn't think of a better guy for it to happen to. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true, Henry. Yeah, good on you, man. Oh, man, is that neat? That's so exciting as you tell the story. I just feel like I'm like I'm there, right with you. You know, hunting alongside of you. But, um, man, oh man, how cool! What a buck, and what an execution! Um, I'm with you. You keep shooting at those things when they're still standing, no matter where that arrow hits. Um, exactly.
1: You know, And then when I got down there, I looked at it and I'm like, Oh man, that deer. I mean, had I left him alone, had I just sat right back down after I shot him that first time? My guess is, you know, he had jumped over there 25 yards, 20 or let's see, it was 55. So yeah, I went 25 more yards and I'll bet he would have died right there. My guess is he would have, he wouldn't have made it 10 yards past that. But when I shot him again, I, I, you know, kind of forced that adrenaline into him, and he took off. But so I don't know. I mean, there's, there's different schools of thought. But man, like I said, I've just, if you're on enough bow hunts, you see weird things happen that are awfully hard to explain, and you just, it, it like you said, and you know, in our opinion, I think we share it there. If they're still standing, just keep shooting, man. Yeah. Just, sure they're done
0: insurance shot no i had the (laughs) the same thing happen on that last montana bowl i put a good one in him at 45 and knew i hit him good and he ran out there and he stopped again on the ridge and clicked him and he was like 84 it was like oh you're catching another one same thing put another one through his vitals and yet he didn't make it he didn't make it 100 yards after that two arrows you know he was done for those those elk are so tough too um so yeah anytime i can get another arrow in him. I get another arrow in them. And, and, you know, like you said, like like funny things can happen. And most of the time it's science. If you make a good shot and it's in the lungs, heart of the liver, you get that animal. You know, most of the time, if there, if you see a shot that doesn't hit in those spots, well, then your percentages go way down. I'd, I'd say, you know, if he isn't hitting the vitals, it may be even lower than 50-50. You know, it's amazing how resilient those animals are.
1: So yeah, um, I agree and in- well, I I lost one early on in my bow hunting. Um, when my buddy was there with me, and he, he I, and he watched the arrow go and He says, "Oh, that was right in the goodies. That one's gonna hurt. That one's that's gonna be fatal." And we didn't find that buck. And honestly, we made a rookie we made a rookie mistake. And I I admit this. I mean, hey, if it can help somebody else not make that mistake, I'll definitely freely admit it. Um, you know, we, we rushed it. We rushed the recovery, but it was the last night of the season and we, we didn't know what the hell to do. You know, we were freaking out and we just rushed the recovery. And had we given him more time and, you know, there's always time. There's always time. You've got to give him time. And we just, uh, we rushed it and we got up there and I know we bumped him and we never found him. Just never found him, you know, and it was, That was frustrating. And that was that was one of those lessons that, you know, unfortunately, I learned it the hard way. And but, you know, that's I guess that's the way it goes. That's how we become better is by learning lessons Sometimes through reading or listening to podcasts, and sometimes you just have to learn them the hard way.
0: (laughs) Sometimes you have to (laughs) live them. Yeah, and and weird things can happen too. You can do everything right on your part. And really a deer, like you do want to give them enough time. And especially with a back hit, like you give them three hours, four hours, that liver hit. Sometimes they can live for quite a while. In my experience, though, most of the time when they're hurt, they're going to bed down. And if you maybe bump them once and then you get out of there, you know, a lot of times you recover that animal. But I, I'm with you. I can be better th- at that as well. Like, um, you know, 30, 45 minutes. Yeah. If you absolutely put that arrow in the right spot, know it's in the right spot. But on those back hits, or if I'm not sure on the hit, like you say, you always have more time. And I'd rather ensure that I'm going to get that animal than not. The only part where that gets dicey too, like, it is at nighttime. We have so many coyotes out west that a lot of times I'll hit a bull at last light or a buck at last light. And then you're trying to consider now if I leave them overnight, there's a chance the coyotes are going to find them. Now i got to really weigh my options and how good do I think my shot was and get down there with my headlamp, find the arrow and assess it. And it all comes from experience trying to make the right call. But I'm with you as we can all give more time or really evaluate where the hit is. And, um, you know, if you let them bed down or they, they're in that first bed and they die there, God, you got such a better chance of finding them than, than jumping them up and getting that adrenaline going. And then what happens is, is you just lose the blood trail. It just goes to drip drop and you play CSI to tracks. But if, if you jump them and they go, you know, a mile or so, you know, it's not that they're not going to die. It's just that you can't find them because there isn't a good enough blood trail to them, you know. And um, once you start gridding hillsides, like, oh, my gosh, I found them that way. And you can recover them, and you got to continue to believe. And grid – I look on my Onyx, and I look at drainages, and I grid, and I – and I'll cover, you know, first off a mile radius, then a three mile radius. But boy, once you start gridding and you lose the blood trail, your chances go way down. That blood trail leads to a dead animal and you got to just keep believing in it.
1: Yep. Yeah. And, you know, my my favorite method for for blood trailing is to uh, just hit them right in the lungs and watch them drop. <laughs> that's, that's the best where you don't even look at the trail you just walk to them you know and i've i've had pretty good luck with that lately but boy it, you know hey things happen i mean you know animals move wind blows there's a there's a hundred things that can that can go wrong and you know we're we talked last time you know it's it's about trying to control variables as much as anything you're just trying to Put all of the odds in your favor that you, that you can reasonably
0: absolutely well and, and um paying attention to the details and the more you do it the better you get but i'd say for like guys listening to this podcast the minute you shoot at an animal you remember your spot you remember where the animal was standing you remember which way he ran which direction did he go try to like log all those memories in your brain right after the shot instead of getting really excited and high and go okay where was he at where was he standing can i get another look at him try to find him again because a lot of times you put that arrow in them, you know, they don't bleed till another 30, 40, 50 yards sometimes. And then from there, give yourself some time, calm down. You gotta find the first blood spot and sometimes it's finding his tracks and then you you follow his running tracks and all of a sudden it leads to blood you prove that that's him or sometimes there's blood right on the shot and sometimes they open up later but that blood trail is the key to finding those animals and those little details man they're so important and and after you've gone around and you can't find blood then you go Oh, oh, where was I standing at? You know, where was I? And then you can't get back to where you shot from. But if you mark that spot, pay attention to it, take a picture, whatever you have to do, but you just log that in your memory bank, you got such a better chance of, of recovering that animal.
1: And, and you know what? One of the things I do, just kind of to build on what you're just saying there, as soon as I shoot, you know, I'll, I'll sit there and like you said, you want to. You want to watch it visually and take in everything you possibly can. <clears throat> Excuse me. I I sit there and I take – I'll just – with my boots, I will just put a big mark on the ground, you know, so I know exactly if there's problems down where the animal was. I can always back up to where I shot from if I need to, like, stack branches there or, yep. you know, whatever. I'll just – I, I might I make sure that spot is marked just so I have a home base for it to go back and get started if nothing else. and it's it's just important because those little details can make the difference between recovering one and walking away really disappointed, you know.
0: Well, and it's like trying to remember oh, a car care. wreck too, right? It happens so quick and there's so much adrenaline. It, it's not that you're you're not sitting there taking notes in a classroom. Like it all happens. It's a car wreck. You're super excited. You got an arrow in an animal. And all of a sudden you forgot the details of which way he ran or which tree he ran behind. Sometimes that's the key to finding the blood trail and finding that animal. It's just a little detail that your eyes pick up that you, that you pay attention to.
1: So last night we went to a uh, – I, one of my customers was inducted into the Furniture Hall of Fame, and yes, such a thing does exist. Um, <laughs> it just goes to show no matter what industry you're in, it's vastly important to somebody. But anyway, we went to this uh, this big event, this big dinner party, and they brought in a special speaker, and it was um, Captain Sully, you know, Sully, uh, Sullenberger, that was – on that flight that landed in the Hudson. Oh, wow. And on the Hudson, and he talked about, he says, Hey, that flight was utterly uneventful for the first 100 seconds. He said, it was the next 208 seconds that changed my life and the life of everybody on that plane. (laughs) He talked for a half hour about those 208 seconds and, really, he talked about how and he said, you know, one of the things he 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 consciously told himself was avoid tunnel vision because we get that we get that tunnel vision where our world becomes like 10 feet wide and that's it, you know, and you've got to take it all in. You have to be aware of all of the things going on around you. And I mean, that's as true during the stock as it is after the shot, but and you know a, a really a terrific example of that. We were um, just last week, in fact, one week ago, right now, uh, a week ago Monday night, I was out um, elk hunting with my son and my wife, who both had uh, first season rifle elk tags, and we had gotten on these really fresh tracks, walking in on this trail, and. I'm sitting here taking the taking the opportunity to kind of coach my son and talk to him about hey you know look at the look at all these tracks here which one of these do you think is the bull which one do you, you know how fresh do you think these are how do you tell if they're fresh and we're going through all these cool things just a cool teaching moment you know in hunting out in the woods and we're sitting here looking at the ground looking at these fresh tracks and I said my gosh Kyle they are right in front of us. I mean, we are almost on them. And I was way more right than I knew. Uh, <laughs> I was looking ahead and she goes, oh, and I just hear her gasp and I look up and there's elk running away. I'm like, oh my gosh. So it was, it was just kind of funny watching, uh, watching that night. I realized. I had taken my eyes. I'd lost the big picture view and I had gotten that tunnel vision that, that he had warned against. And I'm sitting here talking about what's right at my feet. When in reality, we're looking at what made the where I should have been looking harder for what made those tracks instead of looking so hard at the tracks. But it it was funny. It was a funny opportunity and kind of a, a quick realization I'm like oh well there you go that's a nice little call to call to action there
0: (laughs) well he's so right like you get these these brief moments and it's what I love about bow hunting it's like these intense adrenaline filled moments where the pressure is on you the the weight of the world is on you and you know all your preparation you do henry with your your 3d shooting like that 3d shooting is so good to to get proficient with you know with with your bow and and it just builds confidence and then when you're walking around the woods with confidence you know you're ready to seize that moment i loved like when you talked talked about your second shot and your pin was erratic going from head to to tail and you knew better than to keep pulling on that shot that was not going to end good on the second arrow and yes. you were able to tell yourself to get your shit together. Like, I think that's important yeah. in those moments, like, not on a second shot moment. Well, yeah, in a second shot moment, but all those moments. And when you're getting that close encounter, uh, you know, to be able to get a hold of yourself and say, hey, breathe, control yourself here, make your shot. This is what you yep. waited all year for. You almost do have yeah. to, like, get
1: a hold of yourself
0: and a couple deep breaths.
1: Yeah. And it, it's funny because every single shot, Every time you hit full draw, you have to have the mental ability to let down. You you have to have that. I mean, if you don't have that type of control in your shot, you need to develop it. Because, I mean, let, let's let face it, that, that thing we're shooting at has a pulse. And if we owe it to them to make the best shot we are absolutely capable of making. Because if we don't, Man, I mean, I, I sure wouldn't want that for, you know, I wouldn't want that for anything, you know, making a bad shot on an animal and knowing that you've just needlessly made them suffer. And it's something that, you know, you just have to have that, that time where you can just stop and say, okay, nope, 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 this shot isn't going to work. Um, you know, and it's, it's hard. I mean, I've let down on animals before and it takes, uh, it, it takes a lot of, a lot of intestinal fortitude to do that, you
0: know. Oh man, does it ever. Yeah, you said it like you said it right. Mental strength over, you know, control over that shot. That that bull that I just shot in Montana, I let down 3 times on him because his angle kept changing, you know, you you and you once you do it long enough, you can realize when it's going to be a good shot and when it's not going to work out or when you're trying to force it, trying to remember there was another bull I let down on. Well, oh, that was because my cameraman didn't have him in frame. That's a totally different deal. But, um, but you know that being able to let down on those things is so important. To let down on that shot and regroup and do it again because angles change, deer move, and if you just keep forcing it, you just don't want bad things to happen. And and um. We all make those mistakes and we learn from them. You know one of the worst mistakes you can make or one of the one of the ones that I've made over the years that I that I'm embarrassed at that I've tried to totally get rid of is I'm drawing back and I'm getting ready to shoot at an animal and that animal starts to walk off. My opportunity starts to walk away and all of a sudden that animal's moving and my arrow goes off. That is the absolute worst move you can make and I've been lucky that I've never hit anything bad. Usually it's two or three steps out of the way. But but God, it's like a – it's a mental error that I that I made where the my opportunity is getting away from me, and I punch my trigger off or I make that shot go because it's starting to get away, which is the absolute worst thing you can do. But it takes such, like, mental strength to get a hold of yourself, to control yourself, let down. And I'll like, I love shooting arrows. I only like shooting the good ones, though. I'll tell you that much. Yep. Like, I do not like missing – <laughs> yeah. Well, and you talked about like that miss you had the night before crushed you and it may have been a longer shot, but you knew you could make that. You knew that was in your wheelhouse and you should have made it. And so it crushes you. It's better just to like, if that shot isn't going to hit him right, you just let down because those, those misses are crushing and, and worse yet, if you don't hit that animal where you want, it just isn't worth it. You You're better off to keep playing the game because you will get a good shot. Eventually you will execute right. And that deer, that elk will die. You know,
1: well, and uh, you know, once you've once you've killed a couple animals, you your confidence level in your own skills and your 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 own ability to put yourself back in the situation or where you give yourself an opportunity, you know, to succeed increases. So I, I knew like, man, you know, I blew that shot and I dude, this was so the last two arrows I had shot at animals, Brian. The, the the shot before that had gone into the log like I was telling you great shot i mean i wouldn't change a thing about that shot i lined it up perfectly i stayed to, just to the right of the branches going out the back of the deadfall i was i was perfectly on line i hit right where my pin was i i just thought i was going to have a bit more arch in that arrow so here i am my last two shots have missed i'm feeling Pretty great about my skills, obviously. So you know, I uh, I, I just I just kind of force myself in, back into a good situation. And once I got myself in that situation, you know, you just you think you force yourself to think about all the times you've come through, you know. And that's and that's what I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking about the last two shots I'd I'd released had been you know misses. So, you know, I I sat there and focused on nope, 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 I'm good, I'm good. I've got this. This is going to be a good shot. And that's exactly what it turned out to be. But, you know, you've got to build that body of work though. Whether you build it in practice, build it in tournaments, build it in, you know, shooting for Pepsi's against your friends, whatever it takes, you know, to build that to build that confidence, but
0: Yeah. You you knew you were going to make that shot. Two misses before that, there wasn't a doubt in your mind that was a dead deer. And that's the same. Like I, if I have a miss, (laughs) (laughs) it's got to come right. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, if I have a miss, like I almost just focus harder on my execution. I know I can make that shot. If I just sit on my shot and execute correctly, that is a dead animal, you know? So that's what I try to focus on is that execution.
1: Yep. And that's what you have to do. I mean, it's, I, and, and for me, I, I tell myself, and I have one thing I focus on because when you're, when I'm drawn back on an animal and the world's spinning, you know, and you've got that tunnel vision that we've been talking about and everything's, you know, there's a lot of things going weird. What I try to do is I, I focus on one element of my shot process and that is coming to my anchor. So if I pull into my acre and I feel I feel my release body hitting my jawbone, I know I'm setting the shot up correctly. So once I've got that shot set up and you know I've got the basis and the foundation set for that shot, I'm good. But it's it's all about, and for me, I literally force myself to think about that one element that kind of brings everything back. And kind of calms me down, you know, because it says, "Okay, here we are. This is familiar. This is something I've done thousands and thousands of times in practice to to get to this moment." And so it just kind of calms me down. So, and I mean, for somebody awesome. else, it might be, you know, thinking about their grip. I mean, maybe their grip's something they've struggled with, and if they feel that grip consistently sitting in their hand, you know, maybe that's the thing they want to focus on, but. I just think having that one little step to kind of take you out of your out of your subconscious just for a second you know and 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 reassure yourself oh yeah this is all familiar we're good i i know this i know this process oh
0: you're so you're so right yeah Yeah. i've had a mantra throughout my hunting career just at, at different things at different stages you know that's Um, and, and,
1: um, what do you, what do you you say to yourself, Brian?
0: Well, usually mine is to, uh, pull, pull, pull. Like once I get back at aim, like I want to pull on my shot and let that shot break. Um, I used aim, aim, aim for a while. Like that was the one thing I thought about, but it's almost my mantra as I'm stalking in, as I'm getting a stock, all of a sudden I'll come back and I'll, I'll tell myself aim, you know, as you're getting, as I'm getting close, I'm thinking about it, but you're right. As you kind of choose one thing. I I think now I I like use it as a focus and I don't really have a mantra so much as like when I draw back, I, I tell myself, put the pin where you want it. And all of a sudden that pin just goes to the middle of the vitals. And then I start to execute my shot. I don't even have to think about pulling anymore, but I would say my new mantra, my one thing that pulls me out of my subconscious is put the pin where I want it, you know, just stick it right on that animal, right in the spot.
1: That's really cool, and and it again, it just it puts you back in. It it changes your mindset for just a little bit, and it gets you in a, I think a a healthier place, you know, to make a to make an accurate shot. Because, dude, if you're if you're not a little bit jacked up walking in there, you know, if you don't have a little bit of adrenaline running, man, you should (laughs) uh, find a new hobby or something because. I thought, I thought not. for
0: a lot of years I had an <laughs> adrenaline problem. <laughs> like I thought I got more than the average guy.
1: <laughs> oh, no, man. Well, and, and, the, and the crazy thing is, like I said, follow-up shots for me, man, they can be tricky. That's why I try real hard to make that first one count because after the shot, after I've done my job, I have this tendency to just go, oh, and that great exhale. And really like you said or like we we're talking about earlier, you gotta stay plugged in. You gotta stay in that moment. But dude, I have a tendency to just completely fall apart after that. And you know <laughs> so like I said, this time I had to have a nice little uh nice little chat with myself and <laughs> you know and but it uh it works, you know. It works out in the end, but
0: Oh, it's so fun to compare that those that you know that car wreck or those moments that we have those intense thrilling moments it's wild to hear somebody else's mantra and thought process and what gets you through um it's just so fun to to listen and compare and contrast you know the different things we do it's uh, so extremely difficult and that's why it just like it that's like why it's all we think about <laughs> it's so challenging it's like you're constantly replaying how you can get better at it you know it's it's just wild i'm i'm so happy i found it and then met guys like you that have the same passion
1: yeah exactly it well it it makes you feel a little more normal because i'll be honest with you i every single night in my hotel room and here's the reason i i go to anchor because i have a release trainer that i carry with me when i'm traveling i mean this is a i've been here for uh, let's say i get home tomorrow night so i've been here it'll be eight days seven nights Every single night, I pull that release trainer out, I pull my release out, and I'll sit there and execute a few shots. And basically, I focus on getting back there, feeling that release body hit my jaw, and knowing that that's when I need to start pulling. and Or, you know, I need to just continue adding tension to that shot. So that's something that I can practice, whether I'm at home you know, shooting my actual bow, or sitting here in a hotel in uh, you know North Carolina, shooting my shot. And I do that same thing when I'm in a uh, you know in a hotel in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, and you know anywhere else that work takes me. I I sit there and work on my shot. So that allows me. My my anchor is the one thing that's 100% consistent. Regardless of if my bows in my hand or if I'm just playing around with the release trainer. So that's why I go back to, you know, anchor. I anchor and then I'm good. And then I'm, it's kind of a calling my shot out and saying, okay, I'm ready now. So.
0: Man, I really like that. Well, it's no accident why you're consistently successful, Henry, like uh, practicing your shot every single night. And, you know, that's not practicing your shot, but it's really sharpening your mind. That's like mental training. And that's like what I have, like all the, the archery kids that I teach, I build them. You can build it out of a you know, 550 cord, and you just tie knots so it it matches your draw length, yeah. come right to your anchor, execute your shot, but it's a way that you can get more arrows in a night than you can shoot, especially now as darkness is coming in, and it's a way to practice your shot every single day. That is such great mental training. Uh, everybody should do that, and I need to do it more. I mean, I'm able to shoot, you know, every day, but still, like, I can be doing that, you know, during commercials, or I can be doing that when I have a break upstairs and execute a few more shots and work on my mental training. That's such a great tip, Henry.
1: Well, and the cool thing about that is it it removes. you know, there's no sight, there's no bow even, you know, you're just pulling on, I mean, I've got, I have two of them that I travel with. I've got one of the right release ones that's like a block of wood for your grip and then just, uh, just a D loop cord that is adjustable. But the new one, I have the Gen 2, which has a little bit of a spring in it, so it gives you a little bit more true feeling on the back end. Oh, wow. Um, And I have another one uh, that's the Morin Trainer that I actually have an old metal Matthews grip that I bought from Lesh Grips years ago. I mean, like 15 years ago. And I've got that on there, and that's the one I travel with the most. I've traveled with that one for years, and – Literally, I just, I, you know, it, it gives you a more authentic feel of a grip in the front, you know, and it just, it just, it re, by removing the sight, by removing all the distractions, you are literally left to focus on the mechanics. And that's what I like about it. And that's, it's, it's funny because every time I come back from a trip like this, I'll hit the range And if I, you know, I get back Tuesday night. If I make it out to the range Wednesday, I can guarantee I'm going to be shooting great because I, I have put all this time into essentially blank bailing, and it, it just pays off, man. I mean, it you're, you come back and my shots are just so strong. You know, the sight picture is, is good. Everything is, you know, when your mechanics are good, your sight picture is good. It's just kind of the way it goes. Assuming your bow fits you properly, but it's just kind of one of those cause and effect sort of things, you know, that if you're, if your mechanics are good, your form, you know, your sight picture automatically is pretty solid. So.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, you're so right. And in any adjustment, it's tough to make adjustments to your form. It's tough to evaluate yourself and make changes. And as you get farther into archery, you just start playing with things. You start playing with with your draw length and the tune of the bow. And I love indoor for that is like indoor, you know, it makes me focus on my mechanics and, and the drills you're talking about, like a uh, blank bailing. That is so important. Look, just like Henry said, like you have no sight picture. The only thing you're focused on is making a good, clean release, pulling into that release and executing that shot. And so all of a sudden, instead of putting your focus into all this, you know, draw back is your grip right, aim right, you know, pull into it. Like you're thinking about too many things, but with that, the, the blank bailing and, and like the practice with your release, you're able to just focus on that execution of the shot. And what it does, you start to be able to feel what a good and bad shot feels like. Like you heard Henry explain shooting at that deer. Like I knew that deer was dead when the shot broke. Like you start to feel what a good shot is and what a bad shot is. And so now all of a sudden when you're on the range, when you're out shooting at a target, when you execute a bad shot, you feel it before the arrow ever hits. Or when you execute a good shot, you go, oh, well, you know, my sight was right when it broke or my sight was low when it broke. I know why that shot went that way. But you start to be able to dissect dissect your archery a little bit more. And I and I think from that comes improvement. And, um, you know, from that becomes, you know, comes more trophies on the wall, hopefully.
1: Yeah. And, you know, something I learned a long time ago, and I wish I would have learned it a long time before that, um, is if you make a perfect shot and your pin is there, that arrow has no choice but to be in the middle. So, you know, you just kind of start stacking those things in your favor and, you know, make sure that that shot is executed properly and make sure that the pin is right there where it needs to be. And again, that that's arrow doesn't have any choice. It's going to go in the middle. And if it doesn't, then you need to work on the tune of your bow because you've got problems. But, you know, you again, you can control those variables. And when you do, and your confidence just goes through the roof and you're, you're just, you know, you're ready when the moment presents itself.
0: Yeah. There's not a doubt in your mind. Is there, you're just walking around with extreme confidence. All I need is a sliver of opportunity and a tear is going to die.
1: I, and you know, it, it's funny because I, I sit there and you know, like I said, I put one beautifully into a log. I mean, just 12 ring that friggin' log that, you know, four days later, I put one right under that buck, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" And I, you know, but after after the log, I'm like, "I just need one more opportunity. I just need one more opportunity." And then I put it right under that buck, and I'm like, "But if I get one more <laughs> opportunity, just one more opportunity, you know, and it's it's so funny. I mean, you, you're you're just begging for just one more chance and You know, that's, I mean, we, we did that with my son's elk. I mean, I, I got him a couple of really, really quick, you know, here's all the animals kind of filing through the trees. There's one opening and I, you know, one of them, I'm like spike and bam, shot goes off like a second and a half later, you know, and, he missed, believe it or not, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was like the most rushed opportunity you could ever get. And another one I got him that I don't think even had a second and a half. And I I should have called him back. And on that shot, I just said, Hey, no, 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 no. But you know, things happened quick. He got a shot off. We followed tracks for a freaking mile and no, not a drop of blood, no blood at all. So we knew that was a, we knew it was a clean miss. I didn't hear any impact, you know. And it, it, but I, I kept just sitting there going, man, just one more opportunity, just just one more opportunity, and you know. And then and I, I, you know how this story ends. It, it was it was awesome. I I actually had to to come down to North Carolina on this trip. I left Monday, um, or no, I left Tuesday morning. So we hunted Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We went out five different times in those three days and got on elk three out of the five times. Uh, two of those were the quick interactions I told you about. Another time we just saw cows and I'm like, man, just, I just want to get one more chance, just one more chance. You know, again, it's, it's like my friggin' bow hunt all over again. And um, I came out, I came out here Tuesday morning and Stacy, my wife, says, hey, if we go out there and we sit right on this, on this point, right where we've been seeing those elk all these times, do you think we could get one? I'm like, oh, please go out. Please. I'm like begging her, please go give it, give it one more shot. Just go give it one more shot. And so I was, I had gotten back from a long day of meetings on Wednesday and my phone rings. I'm back here at the hotel preparing for my meetings on Thursday morning and my phone rings. I look at the time. It's 8 30 here, East Coast time. Like that is 6 30 in and back home. If they're walking out already, I'm going to be so freaking mad because the sun barely is setting right now. And so, anyway, it's my wife on the other end, and she goes, Kyle got up, and the call breaks up. It's like, Kyle got a and I'm like Kyle got a what? Kyle got a shot, Kyle got a bull, Kyle got eaten by a bear. So so finally she comes back in and she goes, I couldn't believe it. I said, Kyle got a what? And she goes, Oh, Kyle got a bull. Brian, I am just totally freaking out, man. I am jumping up and down and going, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap. I'm just like yelling it. I don't even know. I totally lost control of the volume of my voice. (laughs) And and she, sure enough, man, they went out there, sat on that point, and right before dark, last day, last light, that one more opportunity came through. And that bull, so now, he shoots a five-by-six bull, and unfortunately, I have now been relegated to having the third-largest bull in the Ferguson family. Here's oh, my no. Having the largest, my son having the second-largest, and their dad, the Mule Deer Hunter, having the third-largest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How cool
0: is that, Henry? Um, you leave was, and they continue so to awesome. hunt.
1: And you know what? I'm I'm so I'm so happy. My wife had the confidence to take him out there that she knew where she was going. I mean, they both know the spot well. Heck, she should know it well. She shot her biggest bull. Well, she shot her big bull 200 yards away from where he shot his. So, but just an awesome experience. And I mean, I you know, and of course, I made one. I, I mean, one quick phone call to to my buddy, Tim Lang, and he had his brother, Brad, and they both dropped everything and ran right out there, and took care of it, took care of the elk, helped him cut it up and get it quartered. So when it was all said and done, I got pictures at like. Eleven thirty at night <laughs> back here in, in North Carolina and I was not sleeping a wink until I had those. So
0: man, that is just, so cool. And what great friends too that you can call upon, you know, and be a be a million miles so, away and they come help the family. And gosh, I mean to yeah, to to be able to share that with your family is amazing. And you talk about the one more opportunity. When it's your family yeah. or when it's your son, you want it so much more than you want anything for oh, yourself yeah. because you want to share the experiences with them. And and I start making yeah. deals with whoever whoever's in charge, the hunting gods or whatever. I'm like, I'll, I'll <laughs> take. Don't give me another encounter <laughs> for another year. Just please let us <laughs> find a buck. One. Let us find okay. another two point. Yep. <laughs> you, oh,
1: man. you know, is, so hilarious because I literally. Hiked all over that friggin' mountain saying, saying silent prayers, man. Just give us one more chance. Just, just one, one more chance. Yeah. Ready? We're yeah. going to nail it. We're going to capitalize. Oh, and, man. But you know what? The difference, though, Brian, is that one more chance. I think everybody has that one more chance coming. But how many people just quit? They just don't go back out. They don't put themselves, you have to put yourself out there and in position for that prayer to be answered or that hope to be answered. You know, you have to, you have to do your part. You got to put yourself out there. You, Get involved and be the, be in the woods, you know, you be made, where they are.
0: You've made a bunch of good points, but that might be the most important one of the conversation. Persistence is deadly. If I am nothing else, I am persistent. I will continue to be I, out there. I will continue to suffer. I will continue to put forth effort to try to fill that tag or to try to create an opportunity. Even sometimes when I feel like there's no hope, I continue to try. And you know what? That one more, it just happens. Just like your kid, like, Five times in three days you brought them out, and that one more time was after you left. They went back out and went out. But yes. like you say, there's always one more out there for everybody. You just got to keep trying.
1: There was, there was some mention from my wife and son about – and the details were fuzzy on this. They said something <laughs> about – eliminating dead weight <laughs> and the guy who was always looking for deer you know and focusing on elk I don't, I don't know like i said the details were fuzzy but all i know is it was a it was a pretty uh, weak attempt at covering an insult so <laughs>
0: uh congratulations <laughs> to your entire family man that is so awesome and nothing nothing better than an elk to fill the freezer too oh,
1: yeah no kidding and we uh by the way, we already have a full freezer. I've already shot a large deer and a small elk, so uh, we'll be uh, we'll be hooking up the neighbors once again. So,
0: <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's so nice to share. And We go through ours every season, but yeah, like all of a sudden, I've got you know friends and people that count on me. You know my. My buddy at work, they're out of meat. He didn't get an elk last year, so I'm able to share with him. My mother-in-law loves wild game, and so she comes over and gets a care package. So, yeah, it's great. It always goes to good use. And, um, man, uh, it's so fun trying to collect your own wild game, that's for sure.
1: It sure is. And You know, the funny thing is, back here at this trade show, um, I brought back like six big salamis and um, some of the sticks and some, some jerky. And so each, each evening, you know, around their, the cocktail hour they have there since, you know, I'm the designated Mormon and I don't drink anyway. I just cut up some of the salami. And, um, it was so funny to this evening. We had a, had a bunch of people there that were, that were asking. So they're like, so, so Henry, you, you, this is your deer. And I said, yeah, yeah. I was able to get this this year with my bow. And, So there, and it just led to this, all these questions. Okay, so, so how do you get it? Okay, so do you just put the meat on a four wheeler after you, after you get them? And I'm like, man, none of the places we hunt allow four wheelers in there. I mean, it's all, you know, it's in, it's in non trailed areas and these are trail access only areas. So no, there's, there's no four wheeler. There's no, there's no phone, you know, we literally phone a friend and put them in your backpack and take them out like a Johnny Cash song, you know, one piece at a time. And it, it's so cool, the conversation that that brought on tonight. And uh, uh, there were five guys there who don't hunt, haven't ever hunted, likely never will hunt. But boy, they have a they have a very different image of hunters now because, you know, I, I shared with them the process and they literally sat there and shared in the meat and it was it was just cool to kind of see their eyes open to a a different a different way of life you know
0: man that is so cool <laughs> there's nothing i like more than sharing wild game that i cooked or that i processed and like you say the salami the pepperoni sticks you know the jerky i make i i've, I've evolved it from so many years of of making it through the smoker and now the dehydrator but um, to be able to share that you know people are receptive and want to hear about hunting they're interested in it it's it's not something that's it's common knowledge when you live in a city like uh to go out in the woods and to harvest a deer and how you how you have to be a an in- the field butcher and and process that meat and and also it's so impressive when when you're the only hands that have touched that animal when you get to kind of throw that in the story too that yeah by the way you know I'm the only person that has ever touched this meat you know besides maybe my family helping me rap but man it's so cool and something I take so much pride in and I just I love the wild game you know it it uh it, it makes for such good eats throughout the year so yeah no it's really cool and good on you like you say it it's so fun to share it with people that don't normally get to hear about it they have so many questions and are so interested in it
1: yeah it's it's just neat and you know they're i mean especially telling this story of, of stacy and kyle going out and getting a bowl you know i mean how that's a it's a pretty cool story you know I mean they're like, wait a minute, your wife took your son hunting and they killed an animal Like no they didn't just kill an animal they killed a bull elk you know I mean it's you, you know yeah. I said go back and look at the statistics. We'll just say the odds were stacked significantly against them <laughs> yeah. I mean according to to the basic math, most people don't do it and somehow, you know, with a little bit of focus and a little confidence in this spot that we've hunted year in and year out for, for quite a while, you know, and it's produced for us several times, they put themselves out there and put themselves in position to to have success. And sure enough, that's exactly what they got. It was awesome. So oh, that is I tough. can't wait tomorrow. And I'm probably going to have to run by the taxidermist on Wednesday, although I think... Dang, he might be out. I hope he's not out hunting. I hope he's not out deer hunting because I got to go see that rack, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's unreal. That's the coolest. You got to go see that with your boy.
1: (laughs) Yeah man so,
0: congratulations him. so my uh we I got uh I'm going out with my youngest daughter this coming up weekend and I'm really looking forward to it but I sure enjoyed uh you sharing that with me with your with your family and your son and that bully killed I was so pumped for for you and for him and for for Hunter so yeah I'm really excited to get my daughter out it looks like we're gonna have good weather gonna do an adventure hunt this year so I'm really looking forward to it
1: that's cool and my my wife asked me that uh, a couple of days later she's like so so who have you shown the pictures to I'm like well listen I I think that people you could classify them in in, in two ways um, hunters you know people who would be interested in seeing the pictures and literally everybody else I've talked to so you know <laughs> hunters and those who hunters who are into it and those who don't yet realize how into it they are so (laughs) yeah i showed it to everybody man i was so freaking proud of them of both of them that i i mean i just couldn't stand it man i showed it to everybody so
0: rightfully so that is the coolest yeah i can't believe they got it done after you left that's just wild
1: i know seriously like i said dead weight mule deer focus i don't know the details right that's
0: well, Henry, man, I have so, so much fun catching up to you, catching up with you, um, man, oh man, what a great conversation! Congratulations on the success uh, of both your son and then you this year, man. That buck was absolutely unreal that you harvested, um, man. I just, I really enjoyed it. Thanks a bunch, man.
1: Hey, my pleasure, Brian. Anytime. All right. And good luck this luck this weekend with your daughter.
0: Oh, thanks a bunch. Yep. Keep in touch.
1: Right on. You too. Take care, okay. man. All right. Bye
0: all right guys that's a wrap uh fun conversation with henry like i say he does all the little things it's no surprise or no accident that he's consistently successful on big mule deer um you know when 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 you're that methodical and you you go through you know every step of the process and and embrace it. You know that his scouting is next level, his shooting is next level. Like it just pays off, and you're consistently successful. And Henry's one of those guys. And so um, I picked up some tips from the podcast. Hopefully you guys did too. Help you for this um, this season of archery hunting, or maybe next season. But um, a great guy. Thanks, Henry, for being on. Um, I just want to thank our sponsors again for giving me this gear to be able to give away to. Uh, our podcast guests, so it was really nice to to be able to contact uh, Henry and go, hey, I got this new Yeti M30 hopper for you, which is just, um, those things are so handy, those soft-sided coolers. I'm just in love with mine, and he got the, the brand new bottle, uh, the bottle. The brand new model that's got the um, magnetic close on it instead of the zipper. Uh, it, it's an improvement to to what they had before, but just a great soft side cooler. They have great products. Uh, make sure to check Yeti out. They've got all different sizes of coolers, keeps ice longer. It, it also works as a bear proof container in National Forest where uh, that's required. You can't just have a cooler. You can't just put food in the back of your truck. It's got to be hung up uh, 10 feet off the ground and four feet away from the tree. So that can be a real pain as you're camping to hang up all your food every night, especially if you got food in coolers. Well, a Yeti is a bear-proof container. It's certified. And so you can throw a lock on the corners and all of a sudden you can just leave your cooler right there and it's a bear-proof container. And it's something that you know you can get a ticket for or worse yet, get a bear into your camp and into your food. Um, so I, I always think that's super important. But they just have great products. Make sure to check out their thermoses, cups, um, Yeti, just a great company, and we appreciate their support. Um, I also want to thank uh, High Mountain Seasoning, um, just a great company with great products. They have they have you covered for all your wild game needs. Uh, lately, I've been using all their different uh, jerky seasonings. They've got so many good ones. The original, the three pepper, the um, what was that one? I just lime was it lime and jalapeno spicy lime something yeah with that one was a really good one i've been trying them all out every one i've had so far is great uh they've got them all available on their website they've also got everything for snack sticks for summer sausage uh steak marinades so they they've got a lot of good products on there uh make sure to check them out and thanks to their support high mountain seasoning and with that um God, wrap on this podcast got some good ones coming up yeah I just recorded uh with some Eastman subscribers um well some actually a couple guys that have had articles in Eastman's um and and you know they're not the standard podcast guests but man have I had some just awesome um conversations with these guys and and back and forth and so I've really been recording some good po- podcasts I'm really proud of and excited to release those to you guys um so I got those. I got some other good guests coming up. Ones I'm lining up. I'm really pumped at one. I'm going to record. I think I'm. I, I saw a text coming through as I was um, finishing up this podcast, but I think I'm going to try to record it tomorrow morning. It's a good one. Um, so yeah, just got some some great podcasts in the works. Just keep working hard to get you guys the the right content to help you improve your, your Western hunting game. Uh, sure, appreciate all the support. I love seeing the pictures and the tags coming through on social media, you know, things that you heard in the podcast that help you be more successful and, um, you know, just like I always talk about it, it's almost a switch or uh, just deciding that you want to be that guy and putting in the work and then it just starts to come you know I'm just a normal guy just like like every one of you guys listening I used to had to start somewhere I moved over from Washington to, to Montana. I I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about Western hunting. The only thing I knew was hunting um, like thick brush for blacktails and Roosevelt's. And I just walked around. I just knew I liked it and then moved out here and being able to experience shed season and bear season and then such a long hunting season. They give us five, six weeks of bow season, five, six weeks of rifle season. I just immersed myself in it and I just... You know, I saw something that I wanted to achieve and something that I really liked, and I just started dedicating myself to it and and trying to learn everything I could learn, you know, read everything I could read. And it was a different day and age, you know, there wasn't it wasn't the information day and age it was now, but not that it was easier or harder. Uh, You know, there's also less guys that know how to do it, and so you know, it's a give and take for sure. But I just pretty much decided I wanted to be a good bow hunter, and then just started putting in the work. So it's all just a mindset. Um, i'm going way too long on the ending but uh you know it's out there for the taking there is still epic hunting on public ground for us average blue collar guys and and uh, that's why i'm just so excited about it and and so excited that, that you know that this opportunity is available to us all and um it's just a it's a really cool thing so uh thanks as always for all the support for listening in subscribing to the podcast man i i appreciate it so much so um yeah check in with you guys next week